Do you feel like recently you've been super financially savvy or really saving towards your goals, but you've got nothing to show for it? Or maybe you've got a little bit of a shopping addiction. Hands up. Don't be shy. Or maybe you're someone who absolutely hates the idea of a budget. Whether you're in debt, looking to invest, or steaming forward towards your saving goals, sit tight because this episode is jam-packed full of financial goodness. Welcome to The Balance Theory, a podcast aimed at arming you with tools and tips so that you are well-equipped to not only find, but own your own definition of balance. I'm your host, Erica, and thank you for joining me. Hello, balancers, and welcome back to another episode of The Balance Theory. I'm really excited for this week's episode because it's a topic I've not yet spoken about with a guest on the podcast, but one I've really been meaning to talk about. And I've actually had quite a few of you reach out and say it would be a good one to discuss. So I'm keen to get into it and talk about how it actually fits into our balance. But before we get there, just a little update from me. So this week has been absolutely crazy. I feel like it's just been one of those weeks where I've had so much on my plate and I'm just not keeping up with one foot in front of the other. And it served as a nice little reminder upon reflection, obviously not in the moment when things were crazy, but upon reflection, it's a nice reminder that you can have your habits and routines and your rituals, but you know, those days where you just feel like it's too much and you just need to chill out and really just take a step back, they're still going to pop up. I don't think it's a bad thing either. I do think it's just a little sign from your body just telling you you need to slow down. And again, it's just about your relationship with those sorts of days. So take it as a body signal, waving you in the face saying, hey, just take a pit stop for a hot minute reset and then keep going. So I had one of those weeks this week and I just wanted to use that experience as a nice little reminder to you all that it is normal and it absolutely forms a part of your balance. So don't feel disheartened when those days do pop up and do try and take a minute to think rationally about what it is that you are in control of and what you can change. Or maybe you've just put too much on your plate and it's about just taking little things off one at a time. Anyway, I just really wanted to share that because I think often we forget that it is something common. It's something we all experience. And I don't want anyone to think that once they feel balanced or, or come into some sort of regular routine and pattern, etc., that their life's going to be breezy with no hiccups. And so I just really wanted to take this opportunity to remind you that we're all in the same boat. We're all heading towards the same destination and we all experience the same waves and bumps along the way. So that's my little two cents for the week. But now onto our beautiful guest for today. I've got the lovely Caitlin all the way from the US. She is the founder of the Freelance CFO, which is a company that helps millennials and beyond master their money knowledge and hit big financial goals while still buying a latte, which I love. It's about really bringing the balance into your financial routine. And on this note, I think that the impact of money and finance on our emotional and mental well-being is something that is not really spoken about enough. You know, I think when it does come to speaking about money, a lot of us run away or shy away from the conversation, especially in a communal setting. Now, this doesn't mean I want to know what everyone's earning to the dollar, but it is about opening up the conversation. How do we deal with our money? What's our relationship with money? It's something that we need to be as open to discussing as our fitness regimes, our diets, etc. It's a big part of life. It is in a lot of ways a leverage point to be able to live life on your own terms. And so I think any podcast about balance would be wholly unfulfilled without a discussion about money and finance, which is why I'm really excited to be sharing my conversation with Caitlin with you all today. 
Now, before I tell you what we're going to be chatting about today, I do want to recommend you get out a pen and paper or your notes in your phone, because honestly, even when I was editing this one, I kept taking away so many good little points. We go through a lot of step-by-step plans when it comes to say debt or savings. So you're definitely going to get a lot out of today. I think no matter what point you are in your financial journey. So today you can expect to walk away with a solid understanding of what it actually means to understand your finances. Another thing we speak about is building financial goals into your overall plan. What does it actually look like? How do you actually do it when you have overheads or maybe you're someone who's in debt or maybe you've already got, you know, another big saving goal and you want to add another one on. So that's a very useful thing that we go through. My absolute favorite topic for today, so I hope you guys love this one, is all about the anti-budget. So we speak about just how a budget is a lot like restrictive calorie counting or restrictive training. And in turn, why it's not conducive to something you can stretch out over a long period of time. Now, a little caveat in saying that that's not the case for everybody, but for most of us, the anti-budget may be the way to go. We do a little deep dive in how to free up some mental space to actually deal with our finances, which a lot of you may not have considered doing when it came to getting advice from a financial planner. And, you know, that involves how to have an abundant and freeing relationship with our finances. So how we can actually get to a place where even if you only have 20, 30, $40 left at the end of every week after your expenses and overheads come out, it's about how you utilize that and have a freeing relationship with it. We reframe spending, talk about online shopping addictions, Couple saving tips. If you're someone living paycheck to paycheck or in debt, Caitlin also shares a few steps on how you can get out of that. And we also end on a nice little chat about investing and why it's important. I really hope that this episode helps you get closer to your financial goals or help you free up your relationship with your finances. If you guys really connect with Caitlin on the show today or absolutely love her content, she does have some awesome courses, which she has given kindly a discount code for all of our balances. So I will share that right at the very end. But basically, if you want to know how to make your finances work for you and improve your future financial well-being a little bit beyond what you've heard on the show today, then you definitely should check them out. I'll pop links to all of that below. In the meantime, take a screenshot of this episode. If you learned something, tag Caitlin and I and share your biggest takeaway. I'm so wrapped you're tuned into today because you're going to get a lot out of it. Let's get into it. All righty, the lovely Caitlin. It's so nice to have you on the Balance Theory podcast. Welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Yes, no, it's, um, I was quite pleased when, you know, your work and everything you're doing was brought to my attention. As I just mentioned to you, I do think that often we forget all the conversation of money and finances is something people run away from or think it's a little bit dark to talk about when we're speaking about wellness and, you know, your overall state of being. So I'm really glad we're going to be having this convo today. No, I do. I I really agree with you there. I think that for so many people, you know, the shame, the guilt, all these other things that come into, you know, it doesn't feel um, abundant necessarily, right? If you're like thinking about wellness to be, you know, talking about something as trivial or, you know, <sighs> difficult to discuss as money. But I think that without having that conversation, like you had said, we don't have a really holistic plan when it comes to overall wellness. Yes. Agreed. Now, just so our listeners get a little bit of a feel, I guess, of your background, can you just talk to us a little bit about what you're currently doing and maybe how you fell into it? Oh goodness. Yes. So <laughs> the short version. Uh, yeah, I know. I was like, hmm, let's, let's rewind. Not 12 years. Um, well, I've always been really great at math and that ended up leading me down, um, a path of working with, 
um, several businesses throughout college and figuring out that I really had an aptitude for accounting and bookkeeping and numbers. It, it's fun for me. What people may find really droll, I like to get in and problem solve and you know prevent crises, all of that. And so I had a real aptitude, kept building it. Um, hopped from job to job, enhanced my skill sets, you know, brought sales tax in and all this other knowledge that I needed to, in my opinion, be really good at what I was doing. And throughout that was living my own, you know, early twenties financial experiences, which included buying a house, getting married, getting divorced, um, <laughs> meeting my now current husband and, you know, all the financial trials and tribulations that came with that. Sure. And that ended up leading to a chunk of unemployment when I was 25, um, which is when I sort of pivoted. I'd always had my, you know, business as sort of a side hustle. Right. And when I was 25, the unemployment office was like, well, based on your age and based on what your pay history is, we don't think you're going to be able to get a job. You should start your own business. And so that is when I really revamped everything and came out with full service, you know, accounting and finance offerings and, God, that's, I mean, that's really how I, how I'm here. I've just continued to do that and thrived and built a really great client base that I adore. Beautiful. I love that. And so who, who could you help? Like what's the kind of client that you could help most? So I see two distinct clients um, in general, and there is some overlap between them, but there is the business owner side. And this is generally, you know, US based, whether residency is US or whether their citizenship is US. Uh, and that that's because of taxes and, you know, understanding the US is really great tax structure. So I work with a lot of business owners that are either just getting started um, up to about two to $3 million a year in revenue. So they're still considered technically small businesses. I've been there, done it, love it, know it. The personal finance realm. And really, you know, I deal primarily with uh, millennials based on, you know, my age range and my experience. And so with that, I work through, you know, an anti-budget, which I know we're going to talk about. I work through, you know, your own personal finances, um, money mindset, and really having a better grasp on your full money picture. Because I think that in order to live our most expressed life, we have to understand our finances rather than either hiding for them, from them or letting them control us. Yes, for sure. And so now that brings me to my first question, and that is, what does it mean to truly understand our finances? Because, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, whether you're a millennial listening or not sit down when it comes to assessing or, or putting together like a saving goal. And, you know, you see what goes in, what comes out, you kind of pick and choose which accounts are for what, but what does it actually mean to understand our finances and why is it important? So I, I really, I, your questions were so good. Um, understanding your finances can be different to everyone, but my base thought when I, you know, talk to someone about like, Hey, we need to, you need to have an understanding is that you need to one on a very tactical level, understand what you have going out and what you have coming in, just the flow of your money. Yeah. Then you need to understand your various financial goals, because what is a goal without an actual reason behind it? You know, if you're like, Oh, I'm going to max out my, my retirement or, Oh, I'm going to save nine months worth of expenses in my savings. Why, you know, yeah. why are you doing all of that? Because I feel like if you don't have a strong driving force behind it, one, it's going to be difficult to reach it or two, you're going to reach it and just be like, okay. And what now? And a lot of times the goals that we set for ourselves, especially in the financial realm, end up being much too ambitious, 
especially for where we're getting started. And so I really recommend, you know, being able to baby step that and building your financial goals into your overarching like plan, but being able to work backwards and go, you know, what, what does this look like for me? Do I want to retire when I'm 40 or 45? Do I want to work until I'm 70? Do I want to have the option to not, do I want to buy a giant house? Do I want to get married? Do I want to have children? And all of these, you know, various things, do I want to continue living in the state or country that I'm living in? And all of those factor into this financial plan. And so being able to understand them doesn't mean that you have to understand every single thing. Like I don't expect someone to understand all of their taxes, all of their personal finances, all of their investing. Maybe they're dabbling in cryptocurrency. You know, maybe they're in retirement. You, you can't, I'm not going to say you can't, I'm sure there are people that have a great handle on every single one of those <laughs> to a solid level, but you need to at least have a basic understanding in all of those so that you can further make decisions for your life. Yeah. Agreed. And I think the, my favorite thing that you just said there, which relates a lot to what we do on the, on the podcast is you've got to really hone in on the why it's the same mm -hmm. when you're exercising, when you're, you know, choosing, picking and choosing friendships or relationships, you know, why you always have to ask yourself, it's such a simple question, but you often, it's hard to actually answer it as well, but it's so mm -hmm. important because it is your driving force and it is what's going to keep you going. So I love that you've brought that to this discussion of finance and that is great. Um, now I actually have been dying to ask you this question since I sort of saw it pop up on, on your work. Why is an anti-budget the key and what is it? What is it? Yes. Yes. So there are, you know, I'm going to preface this, you know, the, the standard way so much of, I feel like our financial knowledge and advice has come from your really stereotypical older white men you know, older, white, privileged working men. And with that comes a, you know, stable sense of income. And, you know, you go to work, you make this money, you come home, it gets allocated, everything's the same. There's, you know, less consumer debt, house prices are less expensive. There's generally more flexibility in the budget. And when I say budget, I mean, total income, cash flow. I should use cash flow instead. But there, there's more available generally, historically, I should say. But with rising house prices, um, you know, property prices, student loans, all, all of these various factors that build into it, many of us have significantly smaller um, amounts of disposable money. And so when someone says, hey, you need to have the strict budget and you need to stick to it and you need to allocate a line item in your budget for every single thing that you're going to do, I think that it, and I draw a real parallel here to wellness or to dieting. I think if you are going to take a really restrictive approach to how you're dieting or, you know, maybe you, you know, new year's resolutions, right? You're like, I'm going to lose 50 pounds. I'm going to cut out carbs and do keto and do all of these things. And it's going to be great. And it is such a dramatic change that in general, it can be really tough to stick with sustainably for the long term. And I see the same thing happen with a lot of people that try to budget because one budgeting for things that fluctuate income and expenses is difficult and frustrating. And also it's time consuming. I don't know many people and if budgeting works for you, please disregard this. But the majority of the people that I work with are like, oh my God, Caitlin, 
I just, I can't, I can't sit in front of a spreadsheet one more time and focus on this lack because it's lack essentially that you're choosing to focus on and scarcity, yeah. right? Yeah. You, you have to make sure you have enough. And if you don't have enough, what do you do? Uh, and how do you reallocate it? And what do you cut? And does that mean you don't get groceries this month? And, you know, all these things that go into it that are really um, restrictive and constricting and not, not what we want to be focusing on, especially when it comes to money, but in a lot of aspects of our lives. And so I came across, I don't know if I came across it or if I just, if I did, I, I need to give credit, but there's no one that I found that necessarily does it quite this way. And so the anti-budget is sort of my rebellion. Um, and it's exactly what it sounds like. So we, you know, when I work with my clients, we build out, Hey, first, we're going to, again, know your numbers, assess your income on average, assess your expenses. Do we on, you know, on the average, bring in more income than expenses. Okay, great. We're going to move on to step two. Do we not? And we're, you know, continuing to build debt or take out, you know, additional lines of credit, things of that nature. Okay. We're going to address that. And we're going to get your income up first, whether that's changing jobs, whether that's asking for a raise, whether that's picking up a side business or a hustle or raising your prices, you know, there's so many different ways, um, you know, along with potentially cutting expenses. I don't default to just cutting expenses because I think there comes a point in time where do you have a life worth living anymore? You know, if you've cut yeah. everything out, especially with COVID and quarantine and, you know, there's not a whole lot that we can go do. So you get to keep your Netflix. Who cares? You know, like keep the latte, do the thing. Yeah. So step one is just to make sure, or like if anyone's listening, make sure that you're, or get yourself to a point where your expenses are lower than your income. Correct. Perfect. Then once that has been done, we move on to step two and step two is multifaceted. But essentially if you have regular income coming in, like you, whether it's a paycheck or whether you have Salary. a business and yep. you've set up to have regular income coming in, you want to call and arrange your bills around that income. And a lot of people don't realize that they can do this, but you can call, you know, your car loan provider, uh, student loan, credit cards, any of those generally, and you can move them. The ones that you normally can't move are like mortgage or rent. Um, and those are normally doing the first 15 days of the month, give or take, sometimes it's five. So I normally allocate the mortgage or rent at the beginning of the month. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the month or middle of the month, we allocate everything else, car payment, debt payments, things of that nature, so that you're not constantly having to carry money over. And then what we do is we move on to making sure we have all of those bills automated that have to be paid. So, you know, power, sewer, water, cell phone, mortgage, rent, et cetera. You set them up for automatic bill pay. If you're working to pay off credit card debt or pay down any other debt, we still automate the minimum payment. And mm -hmm. what you do by automating the minimum payment that's due every month, you prevent yourself from forgetting that it's due from having a ding on your credit card or your credit uh, report for a missed payment. And you can still make as many other payments as you want to that card in a month. There's not a limit to how many payments you can send over there. And I suppose then you're also like taking the attention away from focusing on, I've got to pay this. I've got to pay this. It's just automated. Yes. It sort of happens behind the scenes. Kind of like, you know, your digestive system's just carrying on. You don't really focus, but you know what's happening. <laughs> Exactly. No, exactly. And you get to focus then on the money coming in on doing the thing. You're not sitting here, you know, trying to analyze every line item like, oh, the rent has to get paid. This has to go. There's so many things that you can take off of your mental to-do list if we just do a little bit of financial housekeeping. And so with that being done, there are a few people that will struggle with this. And so depending on the person, we may open a second account, uh, checking account. So with that, normally you would have your income coming into a checking account. 
And then your expenses would go out of that checking account. Where the problem can come in is if you don't have your bills come out relatively closely to your paycheck, it can lead to an issue because you may not know what's available, right? There may still be some ambiguity yeah. there. Yeah. You know things are going to be pulling. So generally when that's the case, um, or if someone's like, you know what, I just don't feel great with it. We set up a separate account that basically sweeps the money needed for the bills into there so that it just disappears. You don't see it. It goes into there. All the bills are set to pay from there. Now, everything else that is left in your account is yours until yeah. you get paid again and it replenishes itself. So you get to go do whatever you want to go do with that money. And when it's gone, it's gone. And you get to go, you know, get your coffee, go get a facial, go eat food, spend it all on travel. Like it doesn't matter because you've already taken care of your bills and your priorities. And so then you get to actually spend. And I feel like that is so much more abundant and freeing than a traditional budget. For sure. And, um, and I guess the thing as well, it comes down to your relationship with that money as well. So I feel like there's a lot of guilt associated with spending sometimes, mm -hmm. but I think people have to remember, like, what are you, what are your goals? And if you're not clear on your goals, I think it's going to be easy to fall into this like guilt trip all the time. So for example, if you're saving for a house deposit and then of that additional income you've got left over to spend after you've taken care of the mortgage and the bills and all that, you then have to allocate half of that to, you know, putting aside for a deposit, then you shouldn't feel guilty for spending the other half because you're still working towards your goals, right? It's not as though you buy that smashed ever in a latte once a month or once every fortnight that, you know, you should feel guilty about it. You should actually reframe and think, you know what, I, I you know, I deserve this. I, I'm going to enjoy this. It's, I've worked hard for this. It's all about your relationship with it. Exactly. And I think you nailed it by being able to reframe the spending. Um, you, and even with the automation that we were talking about, if you have a really big or aggressive goal, right, you're trying to get a really big down payment or catch up on retirement or pay off debt, you can automate those goals as well so that those aren't even coming out of your available pool. But yes, you can absolutely choose to make additional contributions or things from that leftover pot of money. But that money is there because you are not here to work until you die. Yes. You are here to be able to enjoy. So if that looks like, and it may be totally different for people, but that's the whole point is that what's left over is yours. And if that means that you want to save it for three months, and then you want to go on a little mini vacation for yourself or redo your wardrobe or whatever makes you truly happy. And I think that's where the, the why comes in again, you know, why are you doing this? Why why do you work? Is it just to pay bills? Like what lights you up mm. and then use that money to further fuel and fill your soul. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to throw in a little spanner and that is shopping addiction. So not, not now in my current life, but perhaps when I was a little younger living at home, a little, you know, had less responsibilities. I would find <laughs> yes. borderline online shopping addiction. And I've still got friends that you know, find themselves just shopping online all the time. It's almost like they've, I don't know if it's an addiction or if it's borderline, but what kind of tips would you have for people like that who feel like they're in a bit of a loop of spending? Like, is it a mindset thing? Is it that they've fallen into a habit? You know, what are your thoughts on that? It's that dopamine hit. And I, I would really say this comes into play in a lot of different ways. You know, this can be mindlessly eating on the couch. Mm. Um, this can be, you know, binge watching TV shows, not to say that any of these things on their own are inherently bad, but I, th it can be drinking too. You know, there are, there's so many different things that we use to numb or to find happiness or feel, feel something. 
Mm-hmm. We're going to, we're going to get a little bit deep here for a second. Um, <laughs> but with that, I think being cognizant of the, the reason why you're doing something. Now, if you just bought a house and you're in the process of, you know, upgrading, maybe you, it's a much larger house. There are things that you need to purchase. You know, there's things that come along with that. Okay. That might be a little bit more reasonable. Is it because you're on month six of COVID and you just need to feel a little bit of happiness in your life. And so Amazon's come to your door 17 times this week. You know, why, why are you doing that? Are you actually using the things that are coming to your door? Have you started building clutter up? And so I think being able to analyze all of the, the why behind it, but for a more practical, like right the second step, what I recommend is putting something in your cart and letting it sit there. Yes, that's a good And tip. if it's more than a hundred dollars, depending on your personal thresholds, letting it sit there for like a week or more. And if you come back to it and you still need it or want it, okay. But normally after like one to three days, you'll go look at it either A, it's sold out, which may or may not have happened to me this last week. And I kind of kicked myself. Um, <laughs> or you've decided that you're like, eh, didn't really need it. Sounded good at the time. And that can help curb a lot of that impulse spending when you're spending just to feel happy. Yeah, for sure. And it's almost like, I guess I'm not talking about every, you know, off spend every now and again, it is, it is definitely that impulse buy when you just see something or like when you get FOMO and you just buy it because mm-hmm. your friends have bought it and you want it in the same color, you know, I've, I've definitely <laughs> yes. before as well, but I think we all know, and it comes down to being very cognizant and very hyper aware of when it is an escapism thing, you know, when, yes. when you're sort of curing a bit of boredom or you're just sort of making an impulse decision. So I guess just bringing awareness to that spending is, is really the key. And yeah, definitely agree. Well, and again, I mean, if you, if you've set up this and a budget or if your money's working for you and you don't have it, like basically if you wanted to spend the leftover, you know, pot of money shopping, you could do that. However, like you said, if it's verging to the point where you're spending money, that's not allocated in there and it's mindless spending or it's spending, you know, your, your closet's just continuing to fill up. Um, you know, I like to look at the practical. If you bring something in, something else needs to leave, Hmm. you know, and that's an additional option. If you're really, truly, you know, maybe you've changed sizes or, you know, you want to update your wardrobe. Okay. Again, no problem. You can choose to spend your money there, but you need to get rid of some of the things that are in your closet right now that haven't been worn or used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, it is, it's much, it's all about like the awareness that goes into it. Yeah. hundred percent. Just a quick word from the sponsor of today's podcast. If you haven't paid any attention to the quality of your gym accessories or feel like the ones you have kill your vibe just a little, then this is for you. ESFit is a brand I've co-founded with my best friend to bring all fitness lovers, the confidence to sweat in style. I'm talking considered luxe fitness accessories, ranging from cotton bands that don't roll or dig to full-size sweat towels that cover you from head to toe and actually don't take up all the space in your bag. The list goes on, but you can check it all out for yourself at esfit.com.au or on Instagram at esfit, double underscore. And for all my beautiful balances, we're offering $15 off of the checkout when you use the code balance. Now we're going to move on to a little bit of a talk about saving now, which I know for a lot of people listening as well. And I actually think most people, I feel like we're always 
in some sort of saving goal journey, you know, whether it be small for a holiday or larger for a house, for a wedding, those sorts of things. What are your biggest saving tips since, you know, budgeting or like focusing on having a budget is not the answer. So my biggest one, and I think this might seem a little bit counterintuitive at times is to start small. I think that so many of us will dive in and be like, you know what, I'm going to, I haven't been saving anything, but I'm going to start saving $500 a month. Um, you know, I did the math, I can do it. I ran the numbers technically that's available, you know, based on my income and expenses, but that can feel difficult and it can feel heavy because so much of what was then, you know, pre previously available to you is now gone. So instead assuming that it's, you know, something that you can do on a longer term goal, like a house or a wedding or things of that nature, where it's a larger goal over more time, start with something small. They wouldn't notice. I really like 25 or $50 a week, a paycheck, a month, you know, whatever you can do without really noticing that hit. Mm -hmm. And then every three months go back in and bump that. Yeah. And over the course of a year, you know, you can then be up potentially to that $400 a month mark, but you've done it in a way, you know, that you haven't really noticed, or it hasn't hurt because it's been so gradual over that time. And I think a lot of people will really overlook that. You know, I, I do that for myself, actually, every quarter I go through and I up all of my retirement contributions and my savings contributions. And sometimes I double them. Sometimes I only add $20 depending on where I feel, you know, with income and expenses and all of that, but I have never not increased it. And yeah, I think and that is probably the simplest tip. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's definitely like a very important one. And it's one we've spoken about on the podcast before in the context of setting goals in the context of dieting, you know, if you just dive in and, from your current diet and go and do like a whole 360 flip, full clean diet, three meals a day, two snacks, that's going to be very hard. And you're yes. most likely not going to stick to it because you haven't eased yourself into it. You haven't allowed your awareness to build around what you're eating and your relationship with food. So it's exactly the same thing. And I totally agree. Like whether your saving goal is big or small, you do need to start with, okay, what's my available funds and start with something small that, you know, that you probably have left over at the end of the month anyway, that you wouldn't notice. And then you slowly build from there because otherwise I think then you do fall into that budgeting mindset. Um, because, you know, I've actually spoken to a couple of people this year as well. Two of them have said to me, I'm not buying anything this whole year. And I just thought <laughs> to myself, like, that's, that's not going to happen. You know, like you're basically yeah. setting yourself up for failure with that goal there. So it is about starting small, you know, whether it is your diet, your finances, like I love that tip. It's so universal and very, very important. Well, and I think starting small with that too, you know, make it so it's actionable, like small is relative, right? So however that works in your journey. And like you were just saying, you know, if you were diving into this super clean, you know, whole three, you know, 360, the whole thing. Okay, great. If you're already eating 50% of the way there, then like making a, you know, jumping to 75 is not a huge thing. If you're eating like a trash panda, um, you know, and chips and everything else, that's going to be a lot harder jump. And instead you should be making smaller jumps to be able to do that. Because like you had said, I, I just, with people that are like, oh yeah, you know, I'm going on a spending freeze. Why? You know, it, it's not, what is the root? If it's just to save money, okay, great. But like, let's look at that and let's actually set something that's realistic, sustainable, measurable, and maintainable throughout the year. And that's where I think so many people go wrong because generally, you know, it's that binge purge um, going on. Okay, 
great. You're not going to buy things for this month or this year. And mm-hmm. then the second that one, the year I think is not realistic, but the month people can sometimes make it that long. You come off of that. What's the first thing you're going to go do? Buy things. Like- yeah. And then, and then the, the problem with that is you, you fall into this like compounding mindset. We're like, we'll see, I can't do it anyway. And you just like move further away from your goal than further towards it. So exactly. starting small will actually help you, you know, like almost pat yourself on the back and go, Hey, like I can do this. And then the confidence builds. And that's when you actually start being more committed, I think. Yes. No, I fully agree. Awesome. So that's the first one. Start small. What would be your next biggest saving tip? The second one is to automate it. And again, I'm going to sound like a broken record on this, (laughs) but to automate your goal, because it's just, we have so many things on our mind that we are constantly trying to manage. Why? Why have to remember to do it? Because one, so if you're getting a paycheck, you can generally actually split your paycheck so that your savings amount can go directly in there. Yes. That's one way. Yes. We Two. can do that here as well. So you yeah. just nominate like two separate accounts and that way you physically like it's done. Yes. You don't have to move it. So that's like the greatest way to be able to automate. Right. But if you don't have that as an option or you're self-employed or whatever, set it up automate it. So it transfers from one account into the other account. Again, you don't have to do it once you set it up Um, and make it just make it stupid proof. And I, I don't even mean that in a bad way, but if we have to consciously remember every week or every other week or every month to move money, it's really easy to be like, Oh, I'll get on that. I'll get on that. I'll get on that. And then generally you end up at the end of the month and you're like, Oh shit, I have four weeks worth that I need to go move. You know, your money's not working for you if that's the case. And it's, then it's just sitting on your mind rolling from week to week on that to-do list that never fully drops off. So Mm, yeah, automating it. And then number three is to not pick all of the things. Pick no more than three main goals that you are working to save towards. I actually really like less than three, Um, but this could be a wedding, retirement, the house fund. God, I mean, there's so many, a vacation fund. There are so many of these, but your money is only going to go so far towards these goals. And we want to see actionable progress over, you know, six months or a year. And so if you have five different goals and I've seen people do it where they'll set up all these different, you know, savings goals and they'll send $25 a month, you get to the end of the year and you have squat in them you know, and it's frustrating. And then you don't feel like you, you can't actually reap the rewards of that because you haven't gotten to any of your savings goals and it's just frustrating. Mm-hmm. So I actually like to number them in order of priority. And then that way, every quarter, when I go through them, I increase the ones and the priority may change from quarter to quarter. Yeah. I put the most focus on increasing the one that is the most dating. I give more to that goal that has a bigger weight. Yes, for sure. That's a good way to do it, actually. So you'd have like priority one, maybe 30% of the wage, priority two, 10%, yes. et cetera. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a really, really good tip. Um, did you have any other tips before I ask you another question? Those are the really big ones for, big for ones. savings. I mean, yep. yeah, just making it, really taking, taking the legwork out of it wherever possible and just setting and forgetting. Yeah, for sure. And like, it, it really shouldn't be like a chore. You know, at the end of the day, I think- right. If you're engaging with saving or, or managing your money as a chore, it becomes this negative thing when really it's the whole point of doing it is to be, feel more liberated. So you do yes. want to make that as like that environment as conducive to that positive side more than the negative. Um, I just wanted to ask you, because I've recently noticed there's these apps, right? Where they can, 
your salary can go into this account or this app and then it'll literally drip feed you your salary throughout the entirety of the month. So you'll literally be getting paid every single minute. It kind of drip feeds you your pay so you don't get it all in one go. So I think a lot of people are more inclined to perhaps spend when it's like a lump sum. What do you think about something like that? I'm intrigued. I actually haven't heard of one doing that. So love new things. I think it's great from someone, if you're not going to budget, if you're not different, I think it could be a good option, right? Because most people will check their bank account. If they know that they're close on funds, you'll check your bank account once a day or every other day or whatever you need to feel on top of it. If there's money there, you'll spend. If there's not money there, you generally won't spend. Um, And that would, that would definitely help with that. But my biggest concern would be that that money's not yours necessarily. Like, you know, I would feel a little bit weird about having my money go through a third party and yeah. then not being able to have it when I needed it. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, totally. But I mean, I don't, I don't I do know. I think it's a really interesting premise. Yeah. I mean, I don't know exactly what the setup is, whether it is just through your account or through the, like the app, but anyway, I just heard about it. I thought it was interesting. So Anyway, all good. I um, and I wanted to ask you about. So, for anyone listening, maybe who you know, yeah, it's all well and good to be talk, having the conversation of saving and and you know the the anti budget and and saving tips. But what about for people who live paycheck to paycheck? Perhaps they are a single parent, um, you know, have a lot of onerous responsibilities, or for for those people who literally just their you know income matches their expenses. How can people sort of spring out of this predicament? Because I do feel like there is a little bit of a lack of freedom if you are in that position. And I can only imagine it'd be very difficult to make future plans, um, you know, being in that sort of predicament. So in, in your work, have you kind of worked with people who are in that position and what would be your biggest tips? Yes. And I've been in that position as well. When I was younger and going to college and living on my own and paying for things and married and had a house and, you know, it it was all that we could do to make our bills for a couple of years there. And with that, the things that I did at the time and the things that I've helped clients do um, are, are multifaceted and it really depends on the individual situation, but in general, getting a roommate when possible, because the biggest problem here is it's not that people that are generally living, you know, paycheck to paycheck aren't working hard. On the contrary, a lot of them are working a significant amount of hours to try and make ends meet. Um, You know, whether it's multiple jobs, whether it's like you said, a single parent, you know, everything else that is going on. And so time freedom is not generally great. And so, you know, everyone's like, oh, start a side business, do this. Yeah, all well and good. But let's start with something that doesn't take much time first. So where can you generate money that doesn't take a lot of extra time and bandwidth? And one of the easiest ways, if it's feasible, is to get a roommate, to potentially downsize where you're living a little bit, to move in with family, friends, or relatives, even if it's for six months, if you have an option. And some of these, you know, will not be options for people, but if they are, all of these can be a way to get that temporary reprieve in order to be able to build up some emergency savings, because that would be number one. Mm -hmm. so that you can then make these changes and you can look to, you know, raise the wages that you're working for. And that's step two. So one, we decrease some expenses, but again, you're not cutting, like 
you're not cutting your food. You're not cutting the things that you really truly need to survive because we're all, you know, we're all worthy of having our, our basic needs met. Yes. And with that, I then would want to see them working to get a raise or working to, you know, can you change a job? Can you ask for a raise? Can you negotiate additional benefits? Like where can you improve without again, adding another job to the mix? And again, but that can take time, but generally that takes less time or it's a little bit more passive than starting another business or doing things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And all of those can help, but I think there's also an, an aspect of gratitude that needs to come in. Um, not saying that gratitude will fix every single one of your problems, but I think finding things because when you're living paycheck to paycheck, it can be so difficult on you mentally. And, you know, if you're constantly worrying about where the next, you know, payment's going to come from or what bill you're going to get, or what's going to be, you know, past due, you're, you're always on edge and you're thinking about money in this negative light. Generally when money is just a tool to be used. And with that, you know, where can you be grateful for the things that money provides? Do you have a roof over your head? What bills are you able to pay right now? You know, where are you able to do things that money helps? And I think trying to flip that narrative mm. so that you're looking for the good that money provides in your life, instead of looking for the negative that you could see money bringing, and then using those in conjunction to help pull yourself into a spot that's a little bit more financially secure and then doing the same thing. You know, you're just constantly baby stepping and working to improve your financial situation by using whatever means necessary. For sure. And it really is, it does come down to, I guess, your relationship with finances or money. And, and that will, you know, come from how you've been raised, what sort of family you grew up in, what your parents or, or parent or carer taught you about, you know, money and saving and, and budgeting or not budgeting, all these different things will come into it. But it's, you know, as an adult now, you do have the decision to change that narrative. And I think gratitude is a great tip and, and not one I think a lot of people would thought they would have heard on a podcast about managing your finances. So I'm really pleased that you <laughs> did say that. Um, and I do just want to, you know, uh, make a little reminder here that the goal is not here to just keep making more money. You know, I think the the point that we're trying to say when we, you know, talk about potentially trying to get a raise or get a job that's going to make you more money is that buffer will just give you one peace of mind. It'll number two, give you flexibility to do the things that you want to do guilt-free. And I think that that has yes. such a bigger impact on your mental health as well, actually, um, more than we discuss. We talk about, yes. you know, like people talk about uh, physical and mental conditions, but I do think that the conversation of managing your finances and the, the stress and anxiety that that can cause is, is quite large. And so all these tips that we're, we're speaking about today are all geared at, you know, coming back full circle to your mental health and your overall well-being. So I'm, yeah, very, very pleased that everything you've said is kind of falling in place with that narrative and conversation as well. So great tips there. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> another thing I wanted to chat a little bit about is debt. So for anyone in their head thinking, help, I'm in debt. I wanted to know, do you have any step-by-step -step plans to help get people out of debt and into a bit more of a saving mode, or at least into a position where their expenses are not outweighing, you know, their income and, and their debt is not hovering over their head like a, a log. <laughs> 
looming anvil. Yeah, yes. that's a much um, better metaphor. Yes. We'll go with that. So depending on, <laughs> um, so with that, with debt, you know, debt, debt comes with varying interest rates. And so a lot of this, you know, again, multifaceted, and I feel like this is my answer to everything, but if you already have a savings, great. If you don't have a savings and the bare minimum that I recommend when possible, um, as that first savings goal is three months of expenses. Mm -hmm. And some people may think that that's really low. Some people may think that that's really high. It's kind of all over the place, depending on, you know, where, where other finance, um, advisors lie. And with that, I think three months of expenses is a lot more than actually three months, because generally if you lose your income, you don't lose all of it. You know, whether you have a spouse or a partner, um, or if it's just you even, and you are getting unemployment, you're not normally going to watch your income go from what it is to absolutely zero. So that's number one, because you can generally stretch three months longer. The second side of that is if you were truly to be in the point where you didn't have any income coming in, or it was reduced, most of us have some expenses that in a pinch we could absolutely cut that are unnecessary and three months can very easily turn into six months then of an emergency fund so i hesitate to put more than that into a cash savings account yeah. the reason being is you lose money even a high yield savings account doesn't get enough interest to keep up with inflation yeah especially not and Yes, seriously. And so with that, you know, that's there and it's liquid and that's great, but we want to put as little in there as we can, because ideally the rest should then be going to debt payoff and investing. And so with that, once you've hit that sort of three month or whatever is comfortable for you, you know, other people have comfort levels at different points. And once you've hit that, we then want to prioritize debt. And what you do, or what I recommend that you do is you rank your debt um, from first to last in order of interest rate. And we start picking that very first debt that has the highest interest rate. And that is the debt that you are going to pay off first. You're going to make sure your minimum payment is being met on any of the other debts that you have. And you, you're going to throw anything extra towards that debt. When that debt's paid off, you then focus on debt number two and so on. Now, here's where it can get a little bit tricky. I don't normally recommend paying off your debt once you get to debts that are like 6% or under an interest rate. Now you can, there's a psychological benefit to it. You know, things like home mortgages normally will fall under that. A lot of car loans will fall under that. Um, but the reason I don't recommend it is because you could then be investing that same money that you would be spending to make extra payments on those. And that money could be going into investments. And then on average, those are going to earn you significantly more in returns than you're paying in interest. Yeah. Things like credit card debt, on the other hand, generally is higher than what you would be getting on an average market return from your investments. So you kind of have a multi, you know, channeled plan, get your savings, rank your debt from highest to lowest interest rate, start by throwing extra to the highest one, and then continue to roll that down as you go. And then when that's done, or when you get to the point that you only have low interest debts left, start prioritizing investing over that. Cool. No, that's, that's a really um, easy step by step. I love um, plans that are very like easy to follow and, and that's quite practical. So I hope for anyone listening, who's in that situation, um, that's, that's been useful to you, but you did mention investing, which was actually the last thing I wanted to chat with you about. And I think it is 
it's kind of like, you know, this thing that maybe your dad did back in the day, like you weren't really taught it at school. You kind of know what the stock market is, not really sure. And that's about the extent of your understanding of investing. What, you know, is this a must that people must do? I mean, I know you just spoke about it with respect to debt and how it's, it's much more beneficial and the yield is a lot higher if you obviously put that into, you know, different forms of investment rather than having it in your savings or making additional repayments. Can you talk to me a little bit about your, I guess, relationship with investing? Yeah. So you, I feel like you nailed it because investing, you know, like so many finance things that we either were or weren't talked about, you know, or that they were glossed over there. There's some holes and it feels very like, yeah, it's the stock market. It's, it's stocks. You're in, but what are we actually investing in? Um, and there's, you know, some ambiguity around there and there's some fear because a lot of times, you know, if you don't understand something, you may have some fear or some anxiety around it. And that can lead you to the not taking advantage of it. So at its very core, you need to be investing in some way, shape or form, whether it is the stock market, real estate, businesses, yourself, all of those can have returns on investment that are significantly higher than inflation. And the whole purpose here and why I really recommend investing over savings, you know, and again, saving for a purpose, totally fine, but there are, there are ways to invest your savings to an extent, not your, like just, yeah, we could, God, we could spend so long on that. Um, but there are various off. tiers. Yeah, there are various tiers of investing. So like, for example, when I sold my house um, a couple of years ago, I had a very sizable amount of equity that came from that, that I knew I was going to use for my next house. Yeah. And with that, it needed to be, I wanted to be getting as much as I could on it, but I also did not want to have the volatility because when I invest in general, and when anyone here is investing, you should be looking at investing for the long haul. I'm not here to short the market, to look at it for short-term gains. Could you yeah. do that? Delve into it, make it a business? Sure. That is not worth my time, my energy, or my stress, or my interest at this point. I'm in it for the long haul. And literally for the entire history of the stock market, over a 10-year period, the stock market has always increased, meaning that your return on your investment will always increase. And again, this is not, you know, financial advice, all of that. Um, but you have to be able to weather the volatility that comes with the stock market. And again, the stock market, real estate, anything that you could be investing in generally comes with a higher volatility. So meaning you can make more, you can make less, you can have a negative return, your investment can decrease in value. There's additional risk. And with additional risk comes additional reward. With a traditional savings account, there's literally no risk. If you have 250, like in the U S if you have $250,000 or less in an account, it's federally insured, it's yours, but you will probably be earning 0.01% interest on that account. You know, you could have $30,000 in there and be making like $3 a year. Yeah. And the problem with that is it won't keep up with inflation. So the whole point is if we're going to save money, we want that money to be earning us money and growing for savings, for retirement, for buying that house somewhere, you know, whatever our long-term life plan is. And if you put that money in savings, you're going to have to work a lot harder to be able to get to that same financial end goal versus if you are able to set things into investments and let them sit longer. Yeah. And, and I think this um, whole conversation of investing really does come down to people's appetite for risk, exactly what you were just mm -hmm. talking about. Um, but I know there's probably a lot of people listening now that do have a, a chunk of money maybe sitting in their account and they've never even considered investing to them. You know, they feel like, 
investing in the stock market is just like a bit of a gamble, you know, might go up, might go down. Same with say something like cryptocurrencies or even property at the moment, which yes. in Sydney um, is still quite high, but has dropped a little bit and it's all very speculative at the moment. And so um, I, I do like this conversation. It is something I'm personally also um, do actively doing with, with my savings. So I don't have everything in a savings account. Parts of it are invested just so, like you said, it can continue to make me money and I'm getting the biggest yield where possible. But I do think one thing people do need to remember if, if they are prepared to invest, it is a little bit more of a long-term thing. So whether yes. it is for your, you know, your, the money you invest is for your retirement or if, or if it's for something you're going to do in five to 10 years, you know, you really do have to be committed long-term to reap benefits of most investments. I mean, not to say you can't get lucky right? Uh, it's straight away. There are definitely some good trades to be made, but unless you are a full-time day trader and you're prepared to shorten long the market and all those things that I'm not technically adept with, <laughs> but you know, like, unless you're prepared to do that, there. I don't think there is like a high, high risk in putting something in and just seeing it out for the long term. I just think it's more um, the letting go of the money and, and knowing that it's kind of yes. tied up in a company that you're not too sure about. And that's when, you know, you really have to do your research or, or get in touch with the right financial advice to set you on the right path. But I'm really glad that you also think that investing is, is a good way. Cause I do think a lot of people don't see their savings as a potential to make them money on top of what's already there. Oh, I'm like, yeah. And it, it, it's a huge potential. I will say to anyone here, the, there's a study done, um, the psychological impact. So if you do invest your money, try not to check it that often, oh, um, you know, let it kind of set and run because if you do check it, the dips in your overall investment hurt psychologically more than the peaks in your investments benefit you. And so the tendency is, and there, the study was looking at like in the 2008 finance crash, um, with that people that pulled their money out in 2008 versus the people that left it in there. Cause basically if you have a, a loss or a decrease in value, it's all hypothetical. It only becomes real when you actually cash that money out and withdraw it, you know, and same thing with a, a gain, right? It's all hypothetical until you cash it out. What happens is people will panic. They'll see it dip. They'll go, oh no, I need to pull this out before more of it potentially disappears. The people that did that in 2008, had they left it alone, it would have taken them less than four years on average to recover and then be, remember that. Again, you're in it for the long haul, not for the short-term you know, panics. Mm. Yeah. And, and definitely like no matter what you invest in, it has a cycle, it's going to go up and down. So not checking is a, is a good yes. tip. Unless you're <laughs> obviously like in the near future looking to withdraw or whatever. Um, Absolutely. But, but yeah, hundred percent. That's a great point. Like it, it really only materializes at the point in which you um, withdraw the money. So even though if, if your portfolio drops or whatever, if you don't pull it out, you haven't, you're not at a loss technically. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that's all we've got time for today. I, um, I really appreciate all your advice and tips, um, but I did have a quick question. So I know that part of your work is helping millennials um, as well. And, and obviously a part of that is everything we've spoken about today. Do you do like online consults? So, because I know the majority of listeners are in Australia and New Zealand, is that something people could reach out to get assistance with, or is that more just through like resources on your socials and website? 
So yes, they can absolutely reach out. I do paid consult calls. I have more deep, you know, deep dive intensives that we can do, but there are 30 and 60 minute consult calls that I do just for, you know, Hey, I need a tune up. I need someone to look through everything that's here. and I need direction, you know, guidance, et cetera. That is absolutely an option. I have a course for, you know, millennials specifically, that's a small, you know, a smaller version um, and less expensive that runs you through a lot of the basics, but consult calls 100%. I'm in the middle of revamping my website. It's oh, just so actually up and live. It's been a year long project, which is a story for another day. That's um, my table, but <laughs> the, the call option should be in there. In the meantime, the either DMing me on Instagram or using the link in my bio should basically all paths lead to me at the end of the day. Perfect. And I will put the hook to all those paths in the show notes below. So everyone can jump on Instagram and connect with you further if they wish, but thank you so much for downloading your knowledge today. I got a lot out of it personally, and I think it was a, a really nice addition to everything I've spoken about on the podcast today. I've not had a very open chat about finances and managing your money. So I'm really glad we did this. Thank you so much. No, it was great. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I love being able to basically yeah download everything that's there it's just it's fun and i think we need to talk about it more often totally agree well i'll have have to have you on again in the in the future and um yeah have have an awesome time and i can't wait to see what the new website looks like thank you and that's a wrap for this week guys i hope you've absolutely loved the incredibly ever important conversation of our financial well-being with our mental and emotional well-being As I mentioned before, a topic of discussion without considering our finances and money, I think would be wholly unfulfilled. So I really hope you've enjoyed today. As promised at the start, we do have a special code for one of Caitlin's millennial money courses. So this is perfect for anyone who really connected with today's content as well as Caitlin and wants to improve their future financial well-being. It includes three in-depth videos on how you can manage your finances and start living the life that you love. And there's also a free bonus video on how you can manifest exactly what you desire and reach your finance goals. Again, I absolutely love the holistic approach to finance. It's not just looking at you with what numbers you have. It's looking at you as a human and how you can actually enhance your relationship with money, which I think is just a really powerful tool to learn. The code for this one is podcast 10 and I've popped a link in the show notes below. So definitely go and check that out as well as the other courses she has to offer. I know you guys are going to get a lot out of it. As always, the biggest compliment for us is if you share this episode with someone who you feel might need it, or if you're on Spotify, you can click follow or on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a rating or review. If you have any suggestions for up and coming podcasts, feel free to shoot us a DM or an email. Our Instagram is at the balance theory and our email is the balance theory podcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, you've always got the option of subscribing to our mailing list. We only send you email reminders when the episodes drop so you get them fresh out of the oven. No annoying spam, we promise. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week and until next time, stay balanced. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.